I'd like to begin this morning by taking us back to 1997, 1998. And for some of us, it's like, oh, that was just a couple years ago. But uh, to our graduates, that's the years they were born. Our graduates were born in 97, 98. And so just to kind of refresh our mind what was going on when these, when these guys uh, came into the world. A gallon of gas was only $1.22 that year. I'd take that back. Uh, Michael Jordan, he retired for the first time. Mark McGuire broke the home run record. He hit 70 home runs that year. Uh, you remember that if you're a baseball fan. Bill Clinton was the president. Seinfeld aired its last episode. 1998 was the first year that Animal Kingdom was open at Disney World. Here in Blairsville, our Family Life Center, it wasn't up there. We didn't even own the property yet in 1998. It was purchased in 1999. Some of you remember that. Um, during those two years, between 20 and 25% of homes had the internet at home. 20 to 25%. How many have the internet in their pocket this morning? <laughs> uh, Google was started in 1998. There were no iPods, no iTunes, no iPhones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the term social media had not even been coined yet. There was no Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, none of it. None of it existed. And so while for some of us it seems like, what would life be like w- without those things? For other of us, we think, well, that was... Simpler in some ways, you know, it's not, it wasn't terribly bad, was it? But we do want to celebrate with the, the graduates this year. Um, they've accomplished a lot uh, by graduating. They're a talented group. Um, they've represented their school well. They've represented their families well. And they've represented their savior well. And uh, we're just very thankful for that. And uh, for you graduates, um, well, to the non-graduates, how many of you remember the uh, the the events around your graduation. It, it, it's, this, is, this is a time that you graduates, you'll remember. You don't remember everything. Um, I can attest to that. <laughs> but this will be a time that you will remember. And um, we've talked a lot in the past year on Wednesday nights uh, about a, a, a lot of different things. We tried to do um, an overview of the Old Testament uh, this past year. And so we were looking at who God was and what he's done um, and we've emphasized uh, Bible reading, studying the Bible. We've emphasized prayer. Um, but this morning, I'd like to talk to you graduates about faith. And it's not, um, we've, we've talked about it throughout the year, but never really kind of committed a, a, a night to the topic of faith. So I just wanted to talk to you guys about faith this morning. And when we read the Gospels, Jesus has a, quite a bit to say about faith. He tells us that if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can what? You can move mountains, yeah. He said, uh, if you had the faith of a child, then what? You can enter the kingdom of God. Um, when the, cent- the centurion, he, remember he sent his servants to Jesus, to, because he, or, uh, yeah, he sent servants to Jesus, he had a servant that was sick, and then he sent more servants after the first ones and said, actually, don't worry about it, just say the word, and, and, I'll, and, and it'll, it'll happen. 
And, and Jesus said, the faith of this centurion hasn't been seen in the land. Um, when the woman touched Jesus' garment, he said that her faith had healed her. When uh, the disciples and Jesus were, were crossing the, the sea, and the storm came up in the middle of the night, and Jesus was asleep on the boat, and they woke him because they were frightened, they were afraid, what did Jesus say to them? You have little faith. He rebuked them for not having faith. And yet, after Jesus had been crucified, Thomas doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. Remember, he appeared to some of the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And he said, I don't believe it. But did Jesus rebuke Thomas? No, he came to him and said, Thomas, put your, put your fingers through the holes in my hand and put your hand in the hole in my side. He, he gently restored Thomas's faith. So Jesus said quite a bit. And the Bible defines faith for us in Hebrews 11, chapter 1, which says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I think when, you, when we're talking about faith, you have to have a combination of belief and a combination of trust to have faith. So you have, to, you have to have something that you believe in, but then you have to trust the source of that information to combine together to have faith that it's, that it's true and that it can be relied on. But having faith doesn't seem to be very popular anymore. We live in a culture that says, okay, if that's true, then prove it. If you can't prove it, then I'm not going to believe it. Or we live in a, in a society that says, if I... Um, if I, don't, if I can't see it, then I'm not going to believe it. Has anyone said, if I hadn't seen it, I probably wouldn't have believed it? When, um, a, a while back, I was talking with Dave Nickerson. And if you've talked to Dave at any length, you know that he, he loves uh, impressive feats. And he was telling me one time how Reggie Miller, a basketball player for the Indiana Pacers, scored eight points in nine seconds. And I said... You can't do it. One person can't score eight points in nine seconds. It's too... No. So he said, no, no, it really happened. So he, he went on to tell me, give me more details. And I was thinking, okay, you know, maybe he'll help me to believe him. So he said, um, it was a playoff game. And the Pacers were playing Patrick Ewing in the New York, New York Knicks. And he said there was like less than 20 seconds in the game left to play. The Pacers were losing by six points. And Reggie Miller scored eight points in nine seconds to win the game. And I was like, okay, this story has gone from unlikely to not possible. <laughs> like, the, the, the circumstances are just too unreal. And uh, it wasn't that I didn't believe Dave. or that I had my doubts, though. <laughs> I didn't think he was intentionally trying to mislead me or, or lie to me. But it was just like, man, I don't, I don't know. Could that really happen? So, of course, we have Google today, and I was able to go home, Google it, and watch it on YouTube today. It really happened in 1995. But we, this is the type of culture that we live in. We're like, I don't know if I can believe that or not. And so we're, we're sometimes slow to believe things. And I think that God knew that we would be like that. And I think that's why he gives us so many reasons to believe him. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I want to look at uh, one instance in the Old Testament and then one instance in the New Testament that I think gives us reason to have confidence in what the Bible teaches us. And uh, when you get to Deuteronomy chapter 4, this is where we find Moses has been told by God, 
you're not going to go into the promised land with the people and that Joshua was going to take over from there. So Moses gathered the people together one more time. He wanted to go over the Ten Commandments and all the other commands that God had given uh, the people of Israel so that it would go well with them in the land. And so um, Moses gathered them all together, and they just witnessed, really. It's not that they had done it, but they witnessed an amazing set of events to get them to where they were. Uh, They were captives in Egypt, and... God came in with ten plagues against the Egyptians and um, just did miraculous things in front of their eyes. So much so that Pharaoh said, just go, just leave, take, take whatever you want. I just don't ever want to see you again. And so Moses and the people of Israel had left Egypt, uh, but then they got to the Red Sea. And they were camped there on the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh and the Egyptians started to pursue them. And God miraculously opened the waters of the Red Sea so they could pass through. And then... They uh, very quickly came to Mount Sinai, and you know there could have the, the Ten Commandments could have just been laid there at the base of the mountain, right? And, and God could have just whispered to Moses, "Your instructions are there. Go read them," right? But that's not how that's not how it happened. God visited them there at Mount Sinai. He came down on the mountain. He engraved the commandments in stone. He led them at night by a pillar of fire. He led them by day by a pillar of cloud. And he dwelt in their presence in their tabernacle. He did miraculous things for the people of Israel. And, th- and this, is where, this is where they are. They've, they've experienced all these things and Moses is getting ready to send them off without him. And um, this is what he said. If you look in verse 32... Uh, Moses speaking to the people, he says, For as now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth. He says, go all the way back to the beginning, right, right to when God created the earth. Go, go all the way to the back and ask from one end of heaven to the other. Go over all the earth and ask this question. Ask whether such a great thing has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of fire as you have heard and still live? That's a question that you don't answer. You just agree with, right? (laughs) And then he asks him this, verse 34, or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. The people didn't uh, stir up a rebellion. They didn't take their weapons and fight their way out. They didn't, um, they didn't get to the Red Sea and come up with a creative way to manage to get across and escape. God went before them. God did the miracles after miracle, after miracle, after miracle before them. It wasn't the people that uh, earned their freedom. God gave it to them. And this is what it says, to show you that, that you might know that the Lord is God, there is no other besides him. He wanted them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that the Lord, he's God, that he's the one that does things for them. And then if we continue, out of heaven, he lets you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you the nations 
greater and mightier than yourselves, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. God didn't just leave them once they got out. He, he continued to go before them through the wilderness, driving out the nations in front of them. And this is, this is why he did it. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. And uh, I, I was joking with Mildred first service that, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, Mildred loves LeBron James. <laughs> no, she doesn't. She doesn't. Um, and, and she'll tell you, she said, I can't stand how proud he is. And he goes around, he beats on his chest and says, I'm the greatest. No one can, no one can compete. No one's like me. And, and, and we read here that God was sure to do the miracles, to deliver the people, to go before them so that they would know that it wasn't them that uh, mustered up their deliverance, but they knew that God, the Lord is God, in heaven above and on the earth beneath, there is no other. And so um, as we read through the Bible, um, that same God that delivered the people of Israel from Egypt, he's still at work in our world today and he's still at work in our lives today. And just like he did something for the people of Israel that they could see, that they could observe, that they could experience, I believe he does the same thing for us today. And, and that's what I want to talk about a little bit. Because if we're not careful, uh, we get into a situation like, say, where they were at the Red Sea. They thought they knew, they, they thought... They knew what was going on. Okay, the plagues happened, and, and God's deliverers were, were free people. And all of a sudden, there's the Red Sea. Here comes the Egyptians. And you ever been in that spot before? You thought you knew what was going on, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, how did we get here? And where are you, God? Do you care? I thought that this is what I was supposed to be doing. I, I know. The Bible says I should do these things, and... And so we have questions sometimes, and if we're not careful, those are the times when we just take things into our own hands, instead of knowing that uh, God is in control, having faith in who he is and what he's promised for us. So uh, my question to you this morning is this, and especially to our graduates, how has God confirmed in your life that the Lord is God in heaven above and the earth beneath there is no other? How do you know that? How has, how has God laid it to your heart? What have you experienced? Because we read, we read in the Bible and we know that it's true. And like I said, the commandments could have just been laid there for Moses and the people. And they could have just read it. And God could say, well, I gave it to you. That's, you're responsible now, right? You ever heard that? Well, you've read it in the Bible and you're responsible. If you know it, you're responsible for it. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> But I think, that, um, I think that God knows that sometimes our faith is weak. I think he knows that our sight is limited. And so he does things for us to observe and know that he is God. So here at the House of Prayer, we, we, we rely on the Bible as our ultimate guide for what truth is and how do we, how do we live it out in our life. But... 
I think that because God knows the, the type of people that we are, he also allows us to see him working. And that's, that's what I want to talk about a little bit. So as, we talk, as I go in and, and talk about some people's experiences, I just want to make it clear, our experiences do not define what is true. God uses experiences to confirm to us what is true in his word. And, and one last year that many of you uh, would remember, we prayed for, or Charlotte Green uh, stood up, probably first service, and she said, um, I've got a spot uh, on, on my lung, some sort of mass. She had been a cancer survivor. Yeah, she'd already had cancer once, mm-hmm. cancer survivor, and she said, I've got an appointment, surgery scheduled, will you pray for me? And so we prayed for her. Do you, anybody remember that? I think it was in the fall, could have been last summer. And... Um, her appointment date came up, and we were all praying, and many of you were praying, and she came, she came um, the Sunday after her appointment, and she stood right back over there, and she said, uh, the doctor did one last scan before the surgery, just to make sure everything was, they were all set, and he, she said, there was no mess, there was no spot, there was nothing there, there was no, no surgery. Praise yeah, praise the Lord, he miraculously healed her. And so why, why does God do that? I think that he does it to confirm to her and to confirm to those who, who were praying for her that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. Um, this past week, Sarah arranged for, it was my birthday, and Sarah arranged a surprise visit from my parents. And so they, we, we spent, I don't know, three days together, um, had a good time, and we had a group over at our house one night, and uh, my parents were telling stories, and um, my dad was telling that when, when I was a kid, and um, I don't know, six, seven years old or something like that, he, he was working, he had a good job, and he felt like the Lord uh, was leading him to go back to school and to go to a Bible college. And, you know, the course load and everything was going to result in that he was going to just need to work part-time. So um, I think he stayed with the same company but went from full-time to part-time. And his salary dropped to $1,800 a month. And when they added up their, their bills and expenses, it was $2,800 a month. All right, so our graduates, what's the difference there, graduates? <laughs> That's $1,000 a month, short. And uh, any of you that had, had to balance the budget before, that's a lot. That just doesn't... Especially in the early 80s. That was even more then. And, but they, they believed that's what God had for them. And so they were telling us uh, the other night, month after month, there was always money in the account to pay every bill. Some of the times there would be a deposit and they didn't, they'd look at each other, did you do that? No, did you? Okay. And they trusted in God. Now, did God have to do that? No, he didn't do it. But I believe it was to confirm to them and to those that he... Since then, they've shared their story with that the Lord is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. There is no other. And one, one more that's personal to me was uh, I was looking back um, this, well, in the last few weeks. It's been uh, just, just over a year since I accepted the position to be a full-time youth pastor here. And um, so it was graduation Sunday last year that I gave my first sermon here at the church. <laughs> So this is an anniversary of sorts for me, too. 
But as uh, Pastor Jerry asked us, you know, Jeff, would you consider being the youth pastor? Was a, for me, it was a difficult time because um, Sarah and I had been discussing future and plans and things like that. And of course, uh, Canal Lake Bible Camp takes a lot, a lot of our time. It did then. It still does now. And um, as, a, as a firefighter EMT, I was looking to be able to advance my career in the fire department. And for me, that meant becoming a paramedic. And so Sarah and I had been praying and planning to give our resignation as camp directors so that I could you know, continue with my schooling, uh, not being able to do both at the same time. And then Jerry comes along and says, <laughs> oh, and in addition to camp, would you consider? <laughs> and um, this was one of those times I was talking about where I was like, okay, Lord, I thought this was a pretty clear path. You know, I, I thought that, you know, firefighter for life, that was, I mean, talk to Hutch and Jim and some of these other ones, Joe, that's not something that, it, it, it just gets in you, doesn't it, guys? But, um, so I said to the Lord, okay, God, you're going to have to be clear to me because I thought I already knew what you had for me. If, if you're asking me to change the direction, then it's got to be clear. And so, um, one day when we were out washing the fire engine, and a lot of you have heard this story before, just working away on the truck like we always did, I got to the driver's side door, and he had just a voice, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me, that said, is this the best use of your time? And it was a good use of my time, a noble career. And I, and I felt like that's exactly where God had me to be, but I thought, okay, Lord, if that's what you, if you've got something else, then I'm willing to do it. And for me... He did it just for me, so that I would know that he is the Lord, and he is God. In heaven above and on earth beneath, there's no one else. So God uses circumstances in our lives to confirm to us what we know to be true in his word. So my question again to you is, what's your story? What's happened in your life to give you confidence to say, the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath? Graduates, you need to know what you believe. You need to know why you believe it. And you need to have faith. And the faith is, it gets stronger and stronger when you recognize these times when God is working in your life. All right, I said we were going to go to the New Testament. Let's turn, turn to John chapter 21. We just want to look at the disciples for a few minutes. Life, life can be hard though, can't it? And our traditional Christian beliefs that we hold on to as a church, and I know many of you hold on to personally and, and as a family, they're, they're being attacked and they're being undermined. And so my challenge this morning is to, is to know, know what you believe and remember, just like the choir sang, we remember his faithfulness so that when we are in these difficult situations, we have confidence in what we believe. And speaking of having confidence in what you believe, the disciples, they're an interesting bunch. And um, when we read, when I, I guess growing up and, and reading and hearing the New Testament stories, it kind of just all made sense. Um, we're sinful people. We needed a Savior. So Jesus came. He died on the cross. And the Holy Spirit came after he uh, had risen and indwelt the believers there. And they continue to spread the good news, what Jesus had done, and I mean, here we are today, the church, and it all just kind of 
flowed together for me. But for the disciples, it wasn't so easy and it wasn't so straightforward. When Jesus came and said to the disciples, come follow me, they followed him and they became his disciples and they realized that he was the Messiah. And to them that meant the Messiah, the Savior had come. He's going to establish his kingdom and the, and the disciples being you know, part of Jesus' inner circle, they're thinking to themselves, this is awesome. The Messiah has chosen us and we are going to help him rule his kingdom. They were, they were pretty excited, I think, about that and, and probably honored and privileged to have that position. And then despite what Jesus, we read it and we said, yeah, but Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die. And, but it, for them, they didn't, they didn't put it together. And all of a sudden, Jesus was dead. And he rose and he appeared to them. But it was a difficult time for the disciples. And when we look at uh, Peter, James, and John, they were Jesus' like, inner, inner circle, if you will. Like They were the ones that were always mentioned to be with Jesus. And these guys were three that were called together. You guys remember the story where Jesus was teaching the multitudes, and they were pressing and pressing and pressing. There were so many people that he was running out of room, so he, he called uh, uh, a, a fisherman over and said, hey, can I get in your boat? And he got in the boat, and he, and he taught just off the shore, so he had a little bit of space. And when they were done, it was Peter's boat. He said to Peter, let's go out and throw your net out. And, and what did Peter say to him? He said, he said, Lord, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. Like, this is a professional that he was speaking to, you know. I don't know if Jesus grew up in a carpenter shop. He was no fisherman. But Peter said to him, okay, since you said I should do it, I'll do it. And he threw the net out and, of course, started to pull it up. There were so many fish in it, it started to break. So Peter calls his fishing partners, James and John, over. They uh, haul it up. So many fish, both boats are almost sinking as they get to shore. And Jesus says, come on, come with me. I'll make you fishers of men. So this Peter, James, and John, like just, you know, right from the beginning, uh, observed the, the power of God in Jesus Christ. And so, um, and yet... Like I said, they, they went through and they were excited and then Jesus died. And I think this is one of those difficult times for the disciples where they're just not really sure what's going on and what to expect and where they should go. And in verse 1, Jesus had already revealed himself to the disciples once after he died. And it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee the sons of Zebedee, which were James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. And I'm sure they were getting together and they're like, hey, what was with that? that I mean, he, was, he died and then the tomb was empty and then we saw him the other night and, you know, what should we do and where should we go and how should we, I mean, this doesn't make sense. And Peter, always one to t- sort of take charge and to be the first one to suggest something, he says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When I read that, I think to myself, there's seven of his disciples there. Wouldn't one of them say, yeah, but I thought, didn't he say he was going to send somebody? The comforter or something? Someone who would comfort us? Like one person would object or, but they just said, no, we'll go with you. And when I read this, I don't think it's, it's, it's uh, like Rich calling up one of his buddies and saying, hey, um, on, on a Friday, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about going fishing tomorrow. Do you want to come? 
I don't think it was that sort of um, suggestion. I think this would be the equivalent of, of me going to Sarah after a, a long week or a, or a hard day at the office and saying, look, I, I, this isn't all that it's cut out to be. I think I'm going back to the fire department. This is the magnitude of this statement, I think. I don't think, and, and that's, that's me. That's my, that's my opinion. It's not what scripture says, but that's, that's what I think. And, Jesus, and it says in verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, hey, you got any fish? They answered, no. And he said, cast the net out on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now again, I think if it was me, I'd just start paddling to shore right then. <laughs> you know, I think I, but maybe I wasn't there. So they cast it out. And, uh, and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And then John, John kind of clues in. It says, The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not too far from land, about 100 yards off. And I read this and I think to myself, Why, why, why this way? Why did Jesus... Um, reveal himself in this way. He'd already been with them in the upper room. Um, he, he could have just said, look, um, just, just spelled it out for him. I know you guys were kind of confused. I know you thought it was going to go down a little bit differently. Um, but, but this is how it's going to be. You know, the Holy Spirit's going to come on the day of Pentecost, you know, it's a few weeks from now. And, and when he comes, you know, you should be together. And he could have just spelled it all out for him, but he didn't. And sometimes I think that's not unlike... He deals with us today when, when we're not sure what's going on and we just think, Lord, I, I love you, Lord, and I'm reading and I'm praying. Could you just tell me what to do? And I'm glad to do it. Anybody been in that position before? <laughs> Lord, if you just tell me, I'm glad to do it. And, uh, but he doesn't always do that, does he? And he didn't do that for the disciples either. And I, think, I really think that... Um, they needed to see one more time that Jesus knew their faith just wasn't where it needed to be. And they needed one more miracle from him to, 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 to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he, is, that he is the Lord, that he's God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. And I, and I think that's a lot like uh, how he deals with us today. Because we're, like I said, our faith can be weak, our sight can be short. So as we, as we attempt to live by the truths of his word, as we pray and as we seek him, sometimes we just need that extra confirmation. And he's so good to us and he loves us so much, he, he does it for us. And the key is to be watchful of it. And as the choir sang, to remember because if you're anything like me, your memory's getting worse and not better. <laughs> Maybe some of you young ones, it's still getting better. But eventually, it just seems to start to get worse. And so, um, as, we, as we close today, it's, it's Memorial Day weekend. It's, a, it's an opportunity. We, we, uh, we set aside a whole day to um, reflect on, on the service of those who fought and died for our freedom. 
And I would like to encourage you to think about more than just the veterans that, that, um, that didn't come home this weekend. But think about what God's done in your life. And write it down and, and stick a note in your Bible if you need to. Because so often God confirms to us what we read in his word through our experience in life. And it's not, it's not every day. It's not every week. Sometimes it seems like, man, it's been years since I've just had something where I could just hold on to. And so when, when, we, when he does provide us with those things, we, we need to remember and, and just make it personal because he is a personal God. And trials will come and doubts will arise. And when they do, we study the word, we're in prayer, but we also remember what our creator has done in our lives personally. So my encouragement to you today is know, therefore today, and lay it in your heart that the, God, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for being at work in our lives. We thank you for uh, the revelation you've given us in your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that um, indwells us that speaks to us. Uh, Lord, I just pray that as we uh, finish this weekend, we recognize the, the graduates and what they've accomplished. Lord, I pray that they would uh, look back on the, the times in their lives, even in these 18 short years that you've been at work in their lives, that they would um, uh, make a note of these things, that their faith would, in you would be strengthened, Lord that they would have confidence in your word and who you say that you are as they go into a, a world that um, will, will distract, that will uh, contradict, that will tell them that what they believe is a lie. But Lord, we know that it's true uh, because it's what your word says, but also because of how we've seen you work in our lives. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray that uh, each one of us would uh, hold fast to the truths of your word, and that we would uh, remember what you've done in our lives and go out tomorrow and the rest of this week uh, with a desire to make you famous wherever we go. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.